Well, good morning to you. It's so good to see you this morning. How's everybody? Doing well? Doing good? Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here. If you are new here this morning, uh, we would like to welcome you. And I just want to take a few minutes to tell you about who we are. You see, this church, we believe, is our mission to become a community of hope. And, and so we've decided as a church that, that we will do our best to bring about hope within our community. And so we have said, we have sought out after four core values that we, we believe will define who we are. And that the first is that we will seek God with everything that we have. That we will, we believe whatever uh, is at the center of our heart is, is, is the core of who we are. And we are trying to align our life's habits with God's hopes for the world. The other thing that we're trying to do is to invest in other people. You see, God has given you gifts, talents, money, and other resources that you can offer other people that you don't need to keep for yourself. And so we believe here that the best thing we can do is give those things, our time, our gift, our talents to other people who can use them. The other thing that we want to do is we want to restore people. As we invest in people, we believe that it's not God's plan for people to stay in a state of brokenness, but rather we move them into this, this place of wholeness where they become then an image of hope. And so we believe that we should send people into the world as images that is our goal. Seek, invest, restore, and send. This morning we are continuing the third part of our series, uh, Far Better. Many of you know that we've entered into the Epiphany season where Jesus reveals himself not just to the community of Israel, not just to his covenant people, but rather God reveals himself to all people and all nations throughout the world. And because Jesus reveals himself to the everyones who are us, we have a far better life than we could have ever imagined. And I think that, that we, as, as God's people, are called to not only live a far better life because He gives that to us, but we, because we become an example of what the far better life looks like for those who don't live in it. And so we are beckoning people. We are calling people to move into to what it means to be fully alive in Christ. This is the far better life. That God offers us, and we want to live into that. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to give you, we're, we're going to bring you a message this morning that um, may be a bit uncomfortable. Just, just a warning right up front. And, and I had a conversation recently with somebody, and, and I told them that it's my responsibility as your pastor not to make you feel comfortable and happy every minute that you come in here. Sure. But it is my responsibility as your spiritual leader to push you to the uncomfortable zone. I want your kids, I want you to go home and, and ask questions. And you may not agree with everything that's said here this morning, but, but we want you to go home and you want to, we want you to have conversations with each other about things that take place here this morning. So this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push. I'm going to push. And we're going to have a good time together. So let's pray together. Lord, we give thanks for this time. May our, our minds, our hearts be open to you. May, may we be receptive to your word. May we hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have concluded the third week of this new year. I don't know how it's going for you, but my New Year's, resolu uh, my new Year's Eve resolutions have pretty much gone out the window. And here's why. Uh, new Year's took place, uh, the first day of the new year was on a Sunday. And if you're like me, nothing new can happen at the end of the week. It has to happen at the beginning of the week. So I tried to start in the second, but that wasn't actually the first, so it wasn't the new year. So I really got up to a bad start on the second. Uh, 
So my, my goals this year were to get up earlier because a lot happens early in the morning. Try to get up earlier, eat healthier, uh, you know, work out a little bit more and, and, and read more. I have a list of things that I want to do. I even made an evening uh, a list of things that I have to do when I get home to kind of make my life better, to, 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 to make me feel healthier, to in some ways to be really kind of alive. Um, but I didn't realize after the first day of doing all those things, getting up early, reading, praying, uh, going to work, and then coming back and going through my laundry list of things to do in the evening, which actually ended around 10 o'clock that night, I was so exhausted that the next morning I overslept. <laughs> And I completely missed out on my New Year's Eve resolution. And I don't know about you, but just, just me personally, whenever I get to the point where I actually miss that one opportunity, it's just like, why keep going? Right? How many of you have made resolutions this year that you would eat, eat healthier? How many of you actually joined a gym this year? Oh my goodness, we have no fitness people in here whatsoever. How many of you decided that you would like to spend more time with your family this year? How many of you said that you would, you would work less? How many of you said that you would save more and spend less? How many of you have this year that you would not find yourself around annoying people? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody? Okay. Now the question I have for you is, how many of you have made it one day? Okay. One week. One week. Anybody one week? We've got a couple hands back there. How many of you are still continuing the New Year's resolutions that you made? Wow. Two of us. Well, you two are exempt from this message this morning. We are speaking to you. Congratulations for being heroes and non-human. Uh, <laughs> but this morning, I, I find it funny that the, the moment that we miss that workout, we miss that meal, we miss that opportunity that we agreed to resolve, we relinquish our resolve. We stop changing. We give in and we just give up. And, 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 and what I find funny is that I think when we make New Year's resolutions, there are things that make us uncomfortable when we, when we dive into change. And what's uncomfortable about change is that, for many of us, it is the unforeseeable future. And I love it when people say, well, this is your chance to get healthy. This is your chance to get married. This is your chance to live a better life. This is your chance to go to the gym. I don't believe in chances. I only believe in choices. And so I truly believe that if we want to change, it only comes by choice. I find it interesting that our relinquished resolve in our New Year's resolutions kind of res resemble what we use in this church, the similar word called salvation. I'm trying to connect the dots here, but, but we use this term salvation in the church to refer to this moment where God's love and His grace pours into our life and He makes us whole and, and calls us calls us to this new kind of existence. And it is this radical moment of change in our life. It is the moment where change is most evident in our life. But suddenly, it, it gives way to this asphyxiated statistic where, where we stop changing. Why is it that salvation is viewed as a one-time moment kind of deal? You see, we have taken salvation to mean the end of the beginning when it is actually the beginning of an eternal existence. But somehow we have said, in this moment, God has changed my life, but now I will no longer embrace the change that He wants for me. Change cannot happen without change. But yet we, we have become people who are so stagnant. The Christian life for many looks as though it is so motionless and so stagnant, and we almost are repulsed by anything that is new. 
And so my question becomes, how can we as God's people be opposed to the life force that raises God from the dead? How can we as God's people who, who, who want Jesus to make things new, who want to change our lives, who we want others to see change in, we even have scripture where it says God is making all things new. How can we want Jesus to make things new yet we're completely opposed to it? You see, I think, I think change is a choice. And I think the Christian life is meant to, to have an alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. That's the main thought I'm working with today. Is that we are to be a people who have an alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. Change cannot happen without change. Now, I know that some of you think I'm talking about change just because I like change so much. But actually, we're going to dive into Scripture this morning, and we're going to look at one word for about 20 minutes. Now, I know some of you probably find that boring, but I'm so excited about this one word this morning. And I think it will change and revolutionize our vision about what change is. So would you stay with me? Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 12 through 23. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Those people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. Oh, some of you are getting excited now because you hear this word repent, and you think I'm going to be preaching hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching. But the irony of people who want hellfire and brimstone preaching are often those who ignore the hell that they actually live in. Jesus says, repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Another favorite line of mine. I just love that line. I don't have time to unpack it today because we're looking to repent. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. This morning we are given two beautiful circumstances that sort of encapsulate and give us a vision of what this word repentance. See, I don't know if you caught it this morning, but, but it's amazing to me, what captures my imagination this morning, is that the Father sent His Son to the world, the Father who created this world, the one who created you and me, who, who breathed life into us, sent His Son into the world, who then leaned into the unrelenting practices of repentance. Did you all know that Jesus repented? It's actually in the scripture that we just read this morning. Jesus Christ himself gave over to the unrelenting practices of repentance. And you're saying, Pastor, where is that your life? Well, it's 
It's right here in front of us. You see, I think we often read Scripture to get what we want out of it, and we completely miss the small thing that God wants to tell us. And it's in the small things that, that amazing things begin to happen. See, here's where it is. It says, it says in Matthew uh, 4.12, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. <laughs> Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. You see, there's a symbolic finality to this, this moment that we've just witnessed with Jesus. Jesus leaves his hometown and he takes up residence in another city. And what I find interesting about what Jesus does this morning is he has to close the door that lays behind him in order to open the future door that God wants to call him to. And it's in this moment that, that, that Jesus almost surgically cuts his life off from his home life. You see, the life that was comfortable, the life that brought him joy, the life that was just so amazing and, and made him feel like he was at home inside, he had this like surgical incision that took place. Could you imagine if the doctor did not have a, a tool that would actually cut you in half? Right away. Like, what if he had the dullest knife in the world and he's trying to yank through your stomach? And it's pretty messy, isn't it? Aren't you glad your doctor has a sharp tool that can just cut your head open? The point I'm trying to make is this. You see, some of you and some of me and some of us live in this, this medium, this happy medium where we want to hold on to the past and yet somehow we want to take the past and walk into God's future. But what we don't realize is his past won't fit into the future that he has for you. Does God do amazing things? Absolutely. Can we ignore the stories that have happened in the past and the way that God has changed lives? No, we don't want to ignore those. But you cannot continually live in this moment while also wanting to live in this one. You see, if the new is over here, this is the past, there is absolutely no way that I can grab on to the new thing that I want to do while continually holding on to this. And I love what Jesus does. He closes the door of his whole life. Everything that was comfortable to him, everything that was good to him, and he decides that he is going to move forward into the fullness of life. And he embraces mystery and the unfamiliar and the indefinite. But he also gets the infinite possibilities of what his Father is willing to do in and through him in this moment. And, and Jesus shows for us today, gives us an example this morning of what it means to be fully alive when we submit our lives to the new thing that God wants to do. <coughs> I, I think that many of us only experience a fraction, a fraction of what it means to be fully alive. And the reason we only experience a fraction is because we are so caught up in what God has done, we are missing what He's going to do. I think this is what we mean by having an alarming embrace of an unforeseeable future. Jesus had no clue what His Father was calling Him to. And yet he dove into everything that made him uncomfortable. 
There's another story this morning that we have to see. It's called the disciples. We see the disciples, Jesus calling them. And i got to be honest, uh, usually I make fun of the disciples because they typically get it wrong, but today they actually get it right. But here's what I'm struggling through, and here's what I'm working through. You see, I'm not saying that you have to uh, uh, necessarily be comfortable with change, but you can't be opposed to it being a Christian. Look, look at what the disciples do. We often point out that they immediately ran after Jesus. We like to point out that immediately they followed Jesus. Yet, for me, when you, when you begin to un, unpack the story, do you think that it was easy for them to leave their families and their kids and their businesses and their boats and, 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 and knowing that they were going to have a meal every night in front of them? Do you think it was easy for them to say, yeah, I can follow Jesus. You know, a lot of people quit following Jesus simply because he was so hard to follow. <clears throat> I think the disciples struggle. But one thing that you've got to give the disciples is they, is they have an unrelenting resolve to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And, and here's what I mean this morning. You see, Jesus, his whole ministry is talking about peace and love, and it's funny because his disciples will get it wrong. In the end of the story, they're still cutting off people's ears. They're still trading in money to give Jesus position over. They're constantly asking Jesus what he is saying, like it's some quadratic equation, and they don't understand what he's talking about. The disciples always get it wrong. But the one thing that they have right is is they had an alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. You said, they said, for just a moment, I will take everything that is home to me, everything that is comfortable to me, you know, the moments where I know where every meal will come from, and I will trust that God will provide for me. I will trust that wherever Jesus takes me, He is calling me to something greater than I could ever imagine. And so they have an unrelenting resolve to change. That is what repentance is anyway. An unrelenting resolve to change. You know, some of you um, may find this interesting, but like I said earlier, we, we tend to miss, skip over the things that are important. Matthew today tells us that Jesus goes to Galilee. Galilee was this place that historians tell us that it said that you could raise a legion of olives in Galilee while it was nearly difficult to raise one person in Judea. You see, Galilee was extremely fertile. There was, there was a, a lot of cultivation that took place. There, there were a lot of crops. There was an abundance there. And so a lot of people flocked there. In fact, the historian Josephus tells us that, that there were over 204 villages in Judea that were not even under 15,000 people. This was an extremely populated area. And what I also love is Josephus tells us that, that these were people who were, had a disposition towards change. Let's listen to what he says this morning, talking about the people from Galilee. He says, they were ever fond of innovations. And by nature, they were disposed to changes. And they delighted in seditions. They were ever ready to follow a leader and to begin an insurrection. They were notoriously quick in temper and given to quarreling. It's like the church. Yet with all, they, they, they the most were chivalrous of men. The Galileans and Josephus have never been destitute of courage. Cowardice was never a characteristic. 
characteristic of the Galileans. You see, Jesus begins his ministry in a place that is open to change. He begins his ministry in a place where people are repentant, where they have an alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. That whatever could happen, they were open to this, and they embraced this, and this is where Jesus starts his ministry. And so the question I've been wrestling with is, is Joliet first a place where Jesus would begin his ministry? Is our church a place where we embrace danger? Where we embrace the unforeseeable future? When, when we are willing to, to found our whole lives and stake our entire existence on this little word called faith, are we those kind of I know some of you may be struggling with this word repentance this morning and my definition of it. An alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. <laughs> but if you actually take the word repent and you begin to, to unpack it, you'll find quickly that this word metanoia means with change. Repentance, by definition, according to the Greek language, means with struggling with today is that could it be that, that, that our church has been stagnant for the last 20 plus years is because we are not repentant people. See, repentance is not about you being sorry. Repentance is us embracing the new thing that God wants to do. Are we unrepentant? I often ask my, myself, is this what it looks like to be, to be fully alive? I get, I, I get so tired at times of people talking about their version of Christianity. I even get tired of talking about what Christianity should be. And sometimes I just want to live. I just want to be. I want to quit talking about what God wants us to do. And I just want to do it. And I, I tend to think that, that somehow we think... Getting a paycheck and going to work and coming home and providing food and then coming to church and sitting here like we're completely unhappy about everything that's going on. Is that really what it means to be fully alive? Don't you want to embrace? Don't, don't we as a people, I love it in the song, we said shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, we will go into the unknown. Oh, really? Will we? Do we really, do we really live what we want? Do we live what we proclaim to the God who has called us to be repentant? There's once a church who had an alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. I want to tell you about this church. This church was growing. And they decided that because they were growing, they were going to need to build a church. But in the midst of building the church, they realized that on the other side of the city, there were there were there were new homes and new businesses and new malls that were going up. And they, they realized that, oh my goodness, while God was working in our church, He's also working somewhere else. And so they decided that because God was working over there as well, they decided to plant a church in that place. And then they also realized that as God's outstretched arms of the cross were an example of His love to all people, they realized that God's love is not just for us and even for this church that we just planted, but it is a global mission. And so this church, within a matter of two years, 
built a church, planted a church, and planted a church in Africa. You talk about a people who were not living into culture. You talk about a people who were creating culture. That they were ahead of history. They were moving in front of other people, and people were following them. I'm talking about Joey at first. See, I think we have looked into the past of what greatness looked like. There were people who were on the move. There were people who wanted to do the new thing. They, they, were, they were looking for where God was at work. And they said, yes, Lord, we will submit our whole lives and everything that we have to you. But somewhere along the lines, we got stuck. Because we kept living in that moment of when we used to be 300 plus people. And when we played in churches then. And we keep looking back to that. And we keep wanting to go back to that. But that's not going to work today. It's not going to work today. I think we... I think we have embraced ungodly creature comforts on neglecting spirit-led change. And I, as your pastor, I don't want to lead that kind of life. I'll be honest, I don't want to come here today feeling like I feel right now. I don't want to come here feeling dead inside.
That's my hope today.